This is fasting part two. I decided uh, because it was just so very simple to include some of the the slides from last week uh, as we get our minds ready for a little bit more information on fasting. And I think this is my, uh, I'm going to seek feedback on this. There's some other things I haven't included in this lesson that I that we had initially talked about in, relate, in relation to fasting, but I, I think this is going to do it. I'm not positive. We'll see. Uh, next week, you might have a part three, but it's most likely we'll be moving on. But fasting part number two, and just to go back, last week as we started talking about fasting, this thing that I just have generally not, pre- I don't preach on it a lot. I've never heard a lot of other people preach on it a lot. We kind of talk about fasting and prayer from time to time. Scripture mentions it, but we just didn't really, so it was, a, it was this idea of what is fasting? Is it something that we should doing? Why should we even fast in the first place. What, what does Scripture teach us about fasting? And I went to this New Testament uh, passage in Acts 27, 9 that, that mentions the fast was already over. So there was a mention of the fast, and the New American Standard decided to put it as a capital, a specific reference to a specific day. And that was a reference back to the Day of Atonement that's for, that is mentioned in Leviticus 16. I think this is the first mention of it. Uh, Leviticus 16 mentions this shall be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month you shall humble your souls. This is the first mention, the description as it begins, the day of atonement. One of the most important that day that they set that scapegoat free to send their sins out away to, to make the camp holy. But on that day they were to humble their souls. And we learned that that idea of humble can also be translated, and it's probably better in my, in my mind, translated as afflict. You shall afflict your souls. And we talked about that, and Acts supports that, that the idea, the idea of afflicting their souls came through fasting. No eating on the Day of Atonement. We looked at some other passages, and I kind of came, I really, I still don't know if this is the best way to say this, but what I looked at and considered is just that Scripture was showing that if things are bad spiritually, when you're dealing with something so very important or just an an important occasion, then if it's spiritually true, then fasting makes the physical body reflect that truth. So fasting, removing yourselves from eating food, it puts the significance and it makes us realize that the most important thing is not the physical feeding, but the spiritual event and in the Day of Atonement of what was going on that day. So if there is something bad spiritually or something very important spiritually, then fasting makes the body reflect that truth and it helps us get our minds where it should be. We went to Matthew chapter 4 and looked just at verses 1 through 4 as we talked about Jesus being tempted. He went out into the wilderness to be tempted. And so he was going, when he was out there, he ends up, as we would expect, if he's out in the wilderness, he is fasting and praying. He's not doing anything else. He's fasting. He's praying. He's communing with 
his father, focusing on the mission that is to come, getting himself ready. So he needed his father's help to overcome temptation. He's fasting and praying as a way to help him do that. In this passage, um, and hopefully this kind of comes to your mind, there's a great connection between Matthew and the passage that I read a second ago. And we're going to read both of these. The Matthew passage, the Deuteronomy passage, man, they just go, even to the very number 40, they're connected. These passages are highly, highly connected. Matthew tells us, verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at this again. I have some words underlined just to get your mind going there to see the connection with Deuteronomy. So pay attention, listen carefully, and as we go to Deuteronomy, make all, try and make as many connections as you can. There are so many. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And, by the way, make sure you're thinking when, when the, some of the translations talk about wilderness, probably the idea of desert, as some of the translations say, that's the accurate, the wilderness is nothingness, total reliance upon God. You will not survive in the wilderness unless you are well prepared or God is going to help you. So Jesus led him by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. A quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse Number three. And I told you as we ended here last week, I said this is where we're going to start next week. So this is where we are. We're going to continue to learn about this idea of fasting as we turn and look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, and by the way, this is Moses speaking as they're about to, right before they can go enter the promised land, reminding them of the commandments. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. So he's telling them, if you want to live and if you want to produce fruit, to be fruitful, to multiply, if you want to do that, then you have to obey what God says. Obey the commands. And then you can go in possess that land, you'll be fruitful, you'll multiply, you will, uh, you will do and become what God wants you to be, you'll be the chosen people. That's the way to do it. If you want to live, obey. Verse number two, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you 
And by the way, I didn't underline the word led, but I hope you're hearing that. God led them in the wilderness. What happened to Jesus? The Spirit led him into the wilderness. So you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you and, oh, excuse me, humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his command or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. By the way, wilderness, humble, testing. The Matthew account doesn't mention humble you, but I, I underlined humble these in these two verses, verses 2 and 3. Because if you look up that word... You look up the Hebrew there, and it goes back to that same word talked about in the Day of Atonement. You shall afflict yourselves. Well, here God is saying, I'll afflict you. Uh, that he might. So they went out into the wilderness so that God would afflict them, testing them to know what was in your heart. Just as Jesus went out and was tested, do you think Jesus revealed what was in his heart during that time when he was in the wilderness and when the devil came to him? Testing. Are you going to follow the commandments? If you want to live, if you want to be prosperous, if you want to be able to be what God wants you to be, you have to obey. And sometimes we have to be tested in that. We have to be humbled and afflicted so that what is in our heart can be revealed. And a little bit later, we're going to be looking at a passage that talks, Jesus is talking about fasting, and he is going to also mention what is re, going to be revealed in our hearts. So Deuteronomy is very much giving this idea that, hey, if you want to live, you got to you got to be afflicted, you got to be tested. And when they were out there in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to eat, God was the one who provided for them. Were they going to rely upon God or kind of rely upon themselves and do what they wanted to do? They were forced to rely upon God. Affliction and hunger caused them to do that. Fasting reminds us that we rely upon God. Fasting re reminds us when we abstain from food, we're turning our minds to something greater. We're, we're telling ourselves that, hey, I don't live by bread alone, but, but I can only live upon every word that comes from the mouth of God. He is the one who created us. It is he who sustains us. 
If we're constantly filling our mouth and filling our stomachs and just being satisfied all of the time, we might get the wrong impression that we feed ourselves, that our jobs bring in our money so that we can buy that food, so that we can live. Well, if we're just living according to the flesh, we're missing out on true life. Fasting reminds us that there is something more important than the physical, but the spiritual. And the question comes, are we more focused on the spiritual or the physical things? Are we focused on feeding the flesh and only feeding the flesh, or do we take some time out to pause and say, I need to feed the spirit? I need to... Feast upon the very word of God. God's the one who created us. That's certainly true. He is the one who sustains us. We give glory and honor to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse number 10 says, Therefore, this is Paul speaking, Therefore I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And just from that verse, we can kind of get this idea that, hey, if if physically we afflict ourselves, we make ourselves weak physically, then we can actually be a little bit stronger spiritually. Focusing on God and not upon the things of the flesh. But I need to back up, and I didn't put this in the the outline, so we need to go back up a little bit before chapter uh, 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse number 10, we need to read the full context of what is going on here because there's a little bit more to it than this that is important for fasting. Important for making the spiritual things, uh, putting them above the physical. Verse number 7, he is going to start making, uh, in the context here, he's going to start describing how he was, hear my word, afflicted. Afflicted with something in the flesh. Because of the surpassing surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, and I'm in verse 7, I don't even know if I said that. Romans 12, 7. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the affliction is, affliction is good because it reminds us that this life is not about us, not about our flesh, but upon God's grace and his power that is at work Within us. My God, the the Lord says in verse number nine, 
My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected or it's completed, it's made whole in weakness. So fasting is a reflection of that very same truth. When we're afflicted, when we're weak, when we have troubles, it's then that we can look above and say, God, I need you. God, I realize now every, everything about my life, I rely upon you. You are the creator and the sustainer. In you, all things hold together. It's not about anything I do or what somebody else is doing for me. It is all about you, Lord God. And when we pause from a meal or from two meals or three meals, and, not, and I've got to repeat this, not everybody is able to do this, nor should they try. But I pray that while we're younger and can, or while we're healthy, that we would do this is that we abstain from a meal, that we afflict ourselves like that, and we can turn our minds towards things above and say, boy, God, I, my flesh, I really feel hungry, hungry right now, but that's okay because... I trust in you. I know you are the one who is with me. I know that your power is at work within me and made better and stronger. And if I truly want to live, I'm going to follow your ways. And I'm not going to go through this life just feeding my flesh. With food, constant food, or, or with uh, constant pleasures. And those things, as we, as we do that and we fail to turn our minds towards things above, they just become sinful. But eating, there's nothing sinful about eating unless we're constantly eating and not turning our minds to God. Take a break from it. Not all things are profitable like that. You know, these phones, you know, it's the same thing. And computers... Hey, there's nothing wrong or sinful about them, but if they, we are constantly consuming them and feeding our flesh with these things or with entertainment, any of this stuff, we become addicted to these things and we can't put them aside for a minute to focus on God or even, I say for a minute, that is it's such a pathetic thing to say as I hear myself saying it. We can't put our phones aside for a minute to read the word of God. That's terrible. We should put our phones aside for a, a whole weekend to focus on people, to focus on Christ, to focus on his word. We should be putting them aside every day and not let them take up our, our every waking moment. And those addictions, even with things that are pretty uh, uh, mute as far as their message, you know, they can lead into other things that just become terrible and disgusting and ungodly. We need to control the flesh. One of the things that I've always felt strongly about that, uh, is that fasting, not only is it for us just to focus on God and say, He's the one and it's not about me, but it's also to, it's a reminder that with God's help, I can put aside earthly and fleshly desires. I can put those things aside and rely upon God. We control our stomach. Our stomach doesn't control us. Don't be a slave to food. Don't be a slave to a phone. Don't be a slave to football games. Don't be a slave to crocheting. I don't care what it is. 
Abstain for a moment. Take a fast. Be devoted to God. Be devoted to prayer. Meditate on God's word. Have it in, our, in your hearts and on your minds so that you can pray the things that are important to God and speak the things of God. It's interesting to note then, I've said all this, I do feel like I need to make this couple of statements here to end. Number one, the New Testament does not give a command to fast. Isn't that interesting? I don't believe I'm wrong in that. There's no command to fast. And we can look at Matthew chapter 9 verses 14 and 15 and it's interesting what Jesus says. It's kind of like, no, don't. They aren't going to fast, at least for this time. Matthew 9, 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. All right, so uh, when Jesus was with them, that was a very important time. They didn't have time to, uh, to be fasting, and the connection is with mourning, with something that has gone wrong. You know, somebody's death or there's some bad situation. They had Christ with them. Now was not the time to fast. But the time for fasting will come later. It's not a command, but it's, it's an acknowledgement that, hey, there's a time for fasting, there's a time not for fasting. But the New Testament, so there's, I don't have a command to say that you must fast. This is an encouragement for you to consider this teaching and say, should I be fasting or should I not? Some of you are going to have to physically say, you know, medically, I, I'm not able to do it. But maybe you can find another way to accomplish the same sort of thing. But the New Testament does assume that the disciples would fast or will fast. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 21, Jesus again speaking here and talking about where our focus is at. He tells the people, whenever you fast, notice that, whenever you fast. He was assuming that people would be fasting. And we've got to figure out how that applies to us. So whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So fasting isn't to impress anybody, to show people how spiritual you are, right? It's not about coming in one week and say. Eric, I fasted for a full day, and then somebody, and I turn back to them and say, oh, yeah, I beat you, I was three days fasting. <laughs> you know, it's not, that is, this is not the place. That is not what fasting is about. It's focus on God. Just putting aside a spiritual to give glory to God and recognize the Creator and perhaps bring something to, to Him in prayer, saying, God, help this situation, help me to do this or to be this or help this person in that, that situation or help our nation or whatever it might be. But it's a turning to God, not any kind of a contest like the Pharisees were doing. But when you fast, 
You, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And listen to this part, the connection. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So do you treasure the stuff that goes into your mouth so much that you can't put it aside for a while and to focus on what's really important? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to put away the things of the flesh and focus on God. And just as food, as it goes with food, it goes with phones, all things in moderation. You can, you can eat, but don't let that become your God. Don't worship that. Don't worship this. Don't put anything above God. Take a break from those things and ter- put your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where's your treasure? I think that's what fasting is really all about. It's where is your treasure? Anything that's pulling you away from God, take a fast. Put it away. If you're physically able to fast, and not everyone can, I encourage you to consider this topic, consider the the concepts that are here. And I encourage you to be reminded that your life is solely reliant upon God by fasting and praying. It's a challenge. It's up to you. If you can't do it with food, you might be able to do it with something else. Fast and pray. And be reminded that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you're not a Christian, then I do remind you that getting your life right with God is more important than your next meal. That will always be true. I encourage you to become a follower of Jesus by being immersed in the name of Christ, having faith in him so that you can have your sins washed away and have the Spirit of God come in you. For those who have already given their lives to Christ, been immersed into him and who are living for him and have placed the spiritual things over the things of the flesh, we're getting ready to partake of a meal now that puts that emphasis, that same emphasis, on Christ Jesus and what he gave up for us. So let us now turn our minds uh, to the communion feast. Uh, We don't have uh, communion to pass in the congregation today, but I think everybody has uh, the communion in hand, and Keith is going to come lead us in our prayers for that feast.